Hello there, my friends, and welcome to Story You Talk Radio. I'm your host, Coach Debbie, and I'm here with you live every Thursday at 4 o'clock Pacific Time and 7 o'clock Eastern Time. Thank you for reserving this hour to join me. We talk all about stories here, and it may be the stories you're living in, and it may be the stories you're writing, but my hope is that over time, you are collecting information and insights that are just helping you live the life you want to live, and if you are a writer like I am, that you are also creating stories that are bringing you into your purpose in the world. I work with first, second, and third time authors, and I have all kinds of offerings for people. Right now at CoachDebbie.com, and that's D-E-B-B-Y, CoachDebbie.com, you can go over there and see that we just had a very successful retreat. I don't even know if I've gotten to brag about it on my website yet, but that was a wonderful time with four individuals dedicated to bringing their stories into the world. And I've also opened up, and I'm going to keep this open for a little bit, I've opened up an unlimited survey course. So what I mean by that is, I am offering 90 classes. Is that right? 90 classes over the next year. And I call them survey classes. We get into some detail, but you might notice here on the show, we get even into more detail. They're survey classes. And if you are interested in that, I have a link that allows you to purchase the entire bundle. They're live classes. They're on Sundays or they're on Tuesdays or they're on Friday afternoons. They come out to being about nine bucks a hit. And we talk all about story. There's there's always just a, a good handful of people there. And we're, we're giving into plot and character and memoir, everything that helps you be a great author. So that is on offer for $900. And like I said, you can come to as many and as few as you like. I am offering 90 over the next year. So, so it's a little bit over uh I think it actually is 96. I'm offering 96 over the next year. It's a little more than nine bucks a class if you attend them all, but you just come to whatever ones you want. That's that. The price doesn't go up if you get in on my exclusive offer, which is 900 for the unlimited package, all that you like. We also have individualized packaging, coaching, that is very goal-oriented or oriented into getting you back into really connecting with your author's voice. And that's often for the memoir writer or the branding writer or somebody that is doing their new marketing. And 
that's that's on offer all year round. But I do have a nice big startup for January, and that's when my prices are the very, very best. So write to me about that. I'm at AskCoachDebbie at gmail.com. AskCoachDebbie, and that's spelled D-E-B-B-Y at gmail.com. Today, we're going to be talking about the many facets of characters. And these might be the real characters in your life. They might be the characters that you remember from childhood books. In fact, we have an anonymous writer today, Jane Doe, I like to call her or anyone that's anonymous. Jane Doe has written in and she's picking up with some things that I talked about in a recent show about children's literature and asking question about character. So I thought we'd bring that to the show today. I'd be happy to take your calls. The number's 1-888-298-5569. And that email address I just gave you, you can always write to me there. And we will read your questions. You can be known by your first name or like my dear Jane Doe, you can ask to be anonymous. Ask Coach Debbie, D-E-B-B-Y, askcoachdebbie at gmail.com. I don't have my Facebook page open right now. We won't be using that today because we're doing a live show and it is windy and rainy and the fewer windows I need to navigate with, the better. So let's play this way. We're talking about the many facets of characters because just like real life characters in books and in shows, they really need to be well-rounded if you're going to stay concerned about them and want to follow them. No character is perfect. Uh -uh. Not in real life, not even in the mind of the writer who creates them. Characters delight us to some degree because many of them are in stories where they're rising up. And they usually take a little bit of a plunge before they rise up. But often filmmakers and writers will save that part of the story for the rise at the very end because we like to see all the transition that a character goes through. It, it mimics our own life. It mimics our own heroic journeys that we might be on. And in many, many journeys, it isn't until the end that the character has rock solid footing and feels like, okay, okay, okay. All that stuff that I had to go through back there is now important because I see it from a whole new perspective. I've gained a certain altitude and, and where I used to see myself in more of a pit, I can now just sort of rewrite that story and see it was it was a necessary tough little mini journey I had to be on to make sense of this bigger journey 
that I'm on. I'll tell you this, even as you're writing a book, you might feel yourself going through a certain journey. Many people call it the writer's journey. I certainly refer to it as that. But in my own brand, I also adopt Joseph Campbell's idea of the hero's journey, but I add in something that's all my own. And that is the notion that the heroine is the energy of the one carrying the story. She's the one writing it down. She's the one making sure that all the nuance makes it onto the page. And I I was really inspired by, by this idea because I loved studying Joseph Campbell and I loved the idea that we are all heroes in our own story, especially as we go through all those 12 steps of the hero. But we we want to continue that sort of fireside chat of sitting in the circle and passing it on. And to me, that's that's the work of the heroine. I took that idea to my life coach, Alan Cohen, a little over 10 years. Yeah, about 10 years ago now. it Yeah, it was 2012. And he said, Debbie, I love that. I've, I've never heard of that before. I say run with it. That's what he told me. And I have. And it is made for a business that I thoroughly enjoy where I lead writers through their memoirs so they can adopt that heroic energy and get their story on paper. It's the heroine's journey after the hero has lived that puts pen to paper and writes down the story. This is a very, very busy time. If you're listening live, we're just about to step into November. And no matter how you follow ritual in your life, November and December, it just tends to be a time when we all rev up. Anxieties are high this time of year. Uh, All of my authors are sort of in a white knuckle place where they're They're really trying to figure out how to hang on to that game they've been building, the the craft they've been honing in on. And so it's not uncommon for this time of year for my one-on-one mentoring clients, as well as some people in the group projects, for them to say, you know, I, I really need a little grace right now. And I just want to encourage you, if you are out there and you're writing on your own, give yourself as much grace as you can right now. I'm doing it for myself as well. This is just a time that is often full of memory. Uh, anytime holidays pop up, we we feel the memories, whether they were good or bad, whether they were happy or strange, we feel them come up again. And our character, our character that we're talking about today is challenged to stay in the race. 
So maybe this is a time for you where you might be offering yourself a little more grace. You might be looking for a a plan B, but I just want to recommend that you don't blow everything up. It's not necessary. And honestly, it's not good character. Look for the grace and look for ways that you're not only offering it to yourself, but you're available to give it to others because we want to see your book. We want to see what you're up to. You haven't come this far in the year just to drop out because of silly holidays. (laughs) I hope that encourages you. I want to personalize some of this encouragement now and just say hello to Rose and Tim. I know this is a, a big day for you, memorializing your family member. And I just want to say that I am with you. It is especially challenging when the characters that we love are very multifaceted and we are trying to find ways to be of utmost respect and also honor our own, our own real feelings, our own journeys we've been through. I just want to shout out to you and also to Scott. Um, I want to say I know your journey is very heroic and that you are giving your love and your attention as you need to as a caregiver. And I look forward to hearing from you. I know that you as well are dealing with many, many facets. I also want to say hello to Rebecca with much love as you are also giving time and care. I want to say hello to Jeanette as well. I am wishing you and your mom harmonious journeys. I want to say thank you to Nancy, who reached out to me on Facebook and just said, I see your story, Debbie. I I can see it between the lines, basically, is what you said. And thank you for relating to me. And thank you for understanding how my mother is my first love. And I am deeply concerned for her. And it is it is all of you that send your love and your care my way that help me stay full of my honorable character. Because I don't want to fall. You know, I don't want to be that person that just says, well, I was an idiot in that time of life because I had too much going on. <laughs> you know, none of us, we we don't want our memories to be like that. So I just want to say thank you to everyone who is stepping into this time of year with grace. And it is with that first step of grace that many of us start to find our footing And we also find surprise and some ease where we thought we might be taken down. So we're in this together. Don't forget that. There's a lot of things we can talk about when we think about character. When it's in stories, there's often structure and theme and genre 
that influence the character. There's the balance of the love and the fear and the good and sometimes the bad or even the wicked. There's all the questions we need to be considering to just give ourselves and our characters a little break when it's needed. So we are going to be diving into that throughout our show today. It's these real life characters as well as the ones in the books that show us how well-rounded we really are. Because we remember, none of us are really perfect. I mean, we come into this world very, very innocent. But it's hard, it's hard to achieve perfection. Why not just relax into our innocence and do our very best? I have a lot of ideas for you here, so stay with me. We're going to take our first break right now, but we're going to come right back. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Lisa Downs, host of Reigniting You, the show that takes a positive, forward-looking approach to career transitions for Gen Xers and Boomers every Monday morning at 7 o'clock. Whether you're looking to stay in the workforce, do your own thing, or retire or semi-retire, Reigniting You is your source for career transition advice, inspiration, and insight for what's next in your career and life. Join me Mondays at 7 o'clock a.m. here on KKNW to get re-energized, recharged, and re Reignited. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. And welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. Today we are talking about the many facets of characters. Sometimes people will ask me as they're writing their memoirs and other stories, they'll ask me, what goes into making my character really likable? Or what do I need to do so that people stick with my character? In other words, follow the character through the story. It's common that as you have a a plot in mind, basically, You want the people to be carrying your readers through the story. They're the leaders. Think about when you go to a movie. This is often fun for me. I'll be sitting in a movie theater and I'll be noticing that the camera is like on the back of the head of the main character and the character is walking maybe through the rooms of a house. And as they're walking through the rooms, you're getting information about the story. You're seeing the the wear and tear of the house. You're hearing the things the character is saying. Basically, the character is walking you through second by second, minute by minute of the story. But it's not just the environment that gives your plot all of that great development. It is, even more so, your characters. And because no character in real life or even on the screen is perfect, what I want you to be thinking about is this idea that 
characters really need balance. So anytime you have a character who is loving, you might want to think about the fact that for this character to be believable and and followable, is that a word? Followable? We're going to use it right now. If we're going to follow your character through your plot, and it's a very lovable character, we're also going to need to balance that character out a little bit. So how might you introduce us to the opposite? Now, there's a lot of different ways to see the opposite of fear, uh, love, and I just give it away. One way I see it is, is fear. If I have a very lovable character, I might bring out from time to time where they're fearful. Because by doing that, I'm not expecting the character to be perfect. But you know what else happens? By doing that with my stories, I also don't expect myself in real life to be so darn perfect. And I don't expect the characters or the people I interact with in real life to be so darn perfect. I mean, we have lots of loving people in our life, right? But we have to also understand that the people we love, whether they're our clients or our kids or our parents or our boss or our neighbors, they're also going to be balanced out by some periods where they're fearful and they don't look all that loving to us. But if we can understand, that's part of being so multifaceted. We can work through those really challenging times when the love is a, is a little underground or it's a little hidden, it's a little hard to find while that person is so blatantly fearful. Think about some other characteristics too. I mean, if you have a a generally peaceful character who maybe is a main character, maybe is not, maybe somebody that's sort of on the sidelines, that peaceful character, if we're going to be believing that it's, real and worthy of following through the story, that peaceful character is going to need a little bit of conflict every now and then. So I'm thinking of a story long, long time ago. It was part of, uh, what did you, what did you call, um, primetime TV. That's what they called it when I was growing up. Just meaning like, like after dinner hour TV. Maybe they still call it that. I don't know. But one of those 30-minute shows you'd see every single night. And I remember this very peaceful teenage character. Always got good grades. Always did well. And then they wrote it into the storyline that he had to go to a new school. And his first new friend was not, not as full of such great character. And the new friend was a bit of a cheater. So now, all of a sudden, our peaceful character had to make some real decisions. And we got to watch that peaceful character go through some conflict. And it was a comedy show. And 
I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that I can't pull up the title. I kept telling myself it was going to come to me, but it was just, it was just kind of a slap, funny, cute show. And, and you know, the type it's, it's the ones that you just grab it for a half an hour after dinner time and it makes you laugh. But it, it was one of those characters who just was kind of off to, oh, I almost had the title. Ooh, I almost had the title. Darn it. Uh, it was one of those characters who was just sort of off on the sidelines and quite peaceful. But to make it spicy, the conflict was he, he had to meet up with someone who was a cheater gave some conflict to the story and it gave the opportunity for the character to rise and come back to being more peaceful. So when you're balancing a character out, you want to think about their diverse opposites. You want to notice that while they might be very loving, they're also going to have fears while they might be full of peace, they're also going to have conflict. While they might be very, let, let's go to the other extreme. While they might be guilty as all get out and, and taking us through lots of adventure in a story, there's going to be a point in time where we're going to need to remember we all come into the world as innocent people. You know, guilt is something made here in this lifetime. It's it's not something we brought from the netherworld with us. You know, guilt, guilt is man-made. It's created. And it's created out of circumstance and incident and our own choosing and some failures and all kinds of things. But underneath it all, underneath all the guilt that we can create, there is an innocent person. And when we know that, then we can see the story and we can see that the person might have been up to some bad behavior, but the person does have an innocence about them. Now, again, if this story is one like a, a crime story and we have caught them with the, the hand in the gold jar and it's not their gold they're taking, um, there, there's going to need to be that point in the story where they're caught and their guilt is shown. But what about also considering, do you want to redeem them in the end? Do you want to bring them back to their innocence? Do you want to show us some of the journey that they're going to travel through as a human, a non-tarnished human that does make mistakes and maybe in that case deserves a second chance so we can find their innocence again? I think that's helpful. All of us go through situations with other humans in our real life where we might become indignant and we might want to say, you know what, I'm never going to let them off the hook for this. It was just too much. And you know what, 
I, I've carried that feeling around with certain people for days, months, even years. And I just, I'm going to come clean right here and tell you, when I thought I was doing such a good job of hanging a person on a hook for years at a time, you know who started to really get hurt by that? Me. Mm-hmm. Because they were off doing their own thing, living their own life. And I was every day getting up, hanging them on the hook. And honestly, that the tarnish ended up on me, not on them. And there's, there's some ways to start to look at how we do that. Even if you're thinking that you don't know how to completely let someone off the hook, Sometimes it's best to just walk away and not focus on the hook for a while and see how you get invited to think about it differently. Because you might start to see ways that you can come back to their innocence. You can come back to the fact that we're all human and we're all balanced in a way. Now, I'm, I'm not saying when when someone commits something in the third degree against you that you just say hey man it's all cool not that not that at all cuz remember good character is full of character development and that takes time a great plot develops over time these things don't happen in an instant right you don't see someone putting their hand in your golden cookie jar and the next instant saying, hey, you know, it's okay that I just saw you rob me blind. That's not how it works. But to really have a full story in life where we get to see people rise and we get to see ourselves rise, doesn't it behoove us to really think about the fullness of character. And if someone is guilty, is there a way over time with more perspective that we can come back to what's innocent, that maybe we can let the fight go and come back to the friendship? I mean, think about that. We see it all the time on the screen. Does it behoove you to do that with your own stories, to let that character rise up in the end? Does it behoove you in your own life to let those characters rise up? Sometimes what I find is that I have, with characters in, in real life, I have made them guilty for a very long period of time because it was clear to me that they had more guilt than me. In other words, I go to this place that, that can be really black and white and unfair. And I'll start to think they're all about guilt and I'm all about innocence. And therefore, I don't really get to work through what was my part of the lesson. You know, it's just they're all bad, 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 bad character. Naughty, naughty, naughty. And I'm not going, hey, you know, what part did I play here? Did I play a part? 
what sort of questions might help me rise into being a little more ethical about what's going on and see my part. So just think about that. Um, when you are creating your characters, how might you bring some balance to them, looking looking at both sides of their character? If they're very loving, they are going to have moments where they're fearful. How do you be with that fearful side of the character? Sometimes people just, you know, kill them off. And, and I've noticed this even in real life. People that are used to doing that with their characters will try and do it in real life. They'll just try and kill something off because it's not working out in their story anymore. <laughs> or they're afraid it won't. But that doesn't really serve us. So how can we work with it? Think about some of the characters you loved. One character I really I really went up and down with as a, a young person. And then I was reminded of it again when I watched the BBC Merlin was King Arthur and the Round Table. Now, he's just one of those characters that seems very angry, seems very cold, because he's not allowing in the kingdom you know, basically Camelot, he's not allowing any magic whatsoever. We have to really go through a good bit of the story to find out that it's his belief that magic caused the death of his wife and the evil of his wife. So King Arthur goes to this place and to this thought that all magic is bad. And that's almost, that's that's the black and white I'm talking about here. Isn't there any good with magic? Can't it just be something too that entertains? Can't it be something that comes in really handy when maybe you're dealing with the sick and you need a miracle? Isn't there anything magic can do for good? According to King Arthur, because he went through something so tragic, he decided, no, no. And what this led to was a real pitfall in his character. I mean, people right and left were losing their heads because they were innocently involved in magic. And, and even those, of course, that were not so innocent involved in magic, it just seemed like Everyone got sent to the same dungeon and it all just led to this terrible time in the land of Camelot. But what we have to see as the creators of story is when someone goes completely black and white, what they're really doing is putting up this false protection. If you can see that, you can orchestrate your character to come out of it. When King Arthur was banning all of the magic, he was basically saying, I don't even feel safe in Camelot if we have magic. So I'm getting rid of every last bit of it. And it it took his, his child, um, 
not his child. I'm sorry. Uh, Guinevere, his wife. It took his wife really helping King Arthur see that um, his father, Uther, had taught him to be very, very black and white. I think I actually said it was King Arthur who lost his wife to magic. It was the father, Uther, that lost his father, uh, wife. Oh, now it, this is what happens when Debbie tries to do everything by memory. But what I want to tell you is that black and white thinking, it's fear protection. We've got to give our characters full faceted development. When we do that, we're not just building barriers. We're not just building walls. We're not just shooting them out of our stories. We're not just getting in the habit of shooting people out of our lives. You know, we got to be careful as writers, how we behave. What we're doing is we're really looking for the development, the fullness and we're, we're offering grace where it needs to be, and we're developing that character to rise up. Let's come back in a minute. We're going to talk about some more characters. And like I said, I got a letter from who I'm calling Jane Doe, and we're going to look at her question about Little House on the Prairie. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Marilyn Milano. If you love animals, then please check out my new show, Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays from 9 to 9.30 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. I'll be talking with rescue groups, animal advocates, and other organizations that help animals, sharing their stories, and giving our listeners some tangible ways in which they can help make a difference. That's Love Has Many Faces, Tuesdays at 9 a.m. right here on Alternative Talk 1150. Raising awareness, touching hearts, and saving animals' lives. Conversation you won't find on the rest of the dial. Alternative Talk 1150. And welcome back to Story You Talk Radio. Today we're talking about character, the many facets of character. Your character, my character, the character of your friends, the characters you might be writing about in your story. We've got to get in touch with the fullness of them. Mary Carr, who is not only one of my favorite authors of memoir, she says this. I love this. She says, don't forget the inner life, especially when you're working with the first person character. And what she's talking about there is on the outside, everyone might see this character as one way. Maybe they see this character as foolish or they see this character as provocative or they see the character as homely or they see the character as antagonistic when the story is in first person, you want to also bring forward the inner life that that character is going through. It's very, very important. And I think this ties up really well with why we have such a hard time 
developing our own character, often it's because we're so caught up in our own inner life. We're caught up in our own inner life and we're looking at the outer life of how we see other people. And if we think someone else is being, you know, real guilty, real asinine, real difficult, and we're comparing it to our inside, you know, which might be a very calmer version of our own outer character. Well, we're not, you know, you got apples and oranges going on there. You see what I mean? When we're looking at character, we're looking at the fullness. What's up on the inside? What's up on the outside? I have to remember this. Often when a student will ask me a question, and sometimes I think, didn't we go over that a thousand times? You know, sometimes that's my first thought. I think I went over that about a thousand times. And then I remember, oh, you know, she's she's actually going through quite a lot at home. It, that's okay that we're going to do this a thousand and one. <laughs> or maybe I'm the one being ridiculous. Maybe I'm the one thinking we've gone over something a thousand times and it's only been twice, you know, and she's got a lot going on. And why not offer it a third time? Why not? That's part of seeing the fullness of character. I want to remind you that characters always have a heart and they always have a brain. If they're alive, they got both, right? So something that is very real for for us in real life is we might see the messages of one's thinking, but we might fail to hear their heart. Or we might go looking for the messages of one's heart, but we might fail to notice what all is clogging up their brain at the time. Maybe they're under a ton of pressure. And so we're expecting a heartfelt message from a real character in our life when they're just under too much pressure to give it to us at that moment. Character and character development is so deep. And yet I just really think it helps us be better at life. It helps us be more compassionate about life. I want to remind you of one of my favorite characters, and that is the Grinch. (laughs) Uh, You know, we're coming up on the holidays. Let's talk about the Grinch for a minute. Do you remember him? He is, well, you could say eventually he's like the hero of Christmas, But throughout a good part of The Grinch Who Stole Christmas, you're introduced to a character that is very isolated. Let's let's note that he's very isolated. Some of the details that we know about him is that his shoes are way too tight. We know that he's constantly sporting this grimace on his face. We know that his head was not screwed on right. It's part of the lyrical Dr. Seuss lines. 
we also know, and I think this is the saddest part of all, that his heart was two sizes too small. These are direct quotes out of Dr. Seuss's The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Now think about that. When you're all isolated, living alone, everything like your shoes are all tight on you, your head isn't spun on right because you're under all this pressure and it's shrinking your heart down. Are you going to make the best decisions when you look out into the world and you see a happy little village below full of singers who are just positive? Are you going to be a part of that? You're going to feel completely isolated from that. And from that, you might experience a certain disconnect from your heart. This is part of being full in character. We go through times when we're really dampened and we go through times when we really sparkle. In the beginning of A Grinch That Stole Christmas, we meet someone who is trying to completely sabotage Christmas. But it's not until he gets away from being isolated and being actually away from his environment and in the environment of others that are happy and sweet and forgiving and mild that his heart starts to grow. And he changes. And to me, it is a story of the most beautiful character development that there is. I love it. It's for children. But I honestly, I honestly think it's for all people because it helps us rise. The character rises and we rise. We start to unclutter our own hearts. We start to have an understanding of the dire need to connect our thoughts and our heart, our feelings. It's when those connections are broken that a lot of heartache takes place. As we go on with uh, episodes of this show, I'll be sharing with you some of the, the heartache that's been made new in my own life uh, with a family member. It's very sad for me. And, and I'm starting to understand how, how when a brain undergoes a certain damage, that it is so hard for that same person to have access to the heart. And, and sometimes it, it actually might even be impossible. But I don't want to completely give in to that. I'm early on the journey with this. I'm watching it carefully. I'm, I'm trying to be as best of a participant as I can as I watch a real live loved one go through what I'll, I'll just call what I think is an injured brain and how it is so difficult, just like it was for the Grinch. It's so difficult to maintain that connection. And I honestly think it's up to us on the outside to do whatever we can to help the one the one that goes through the injury, because injury can happen to any character in so many ways. Injury can happen because 
The father is no longer available in the household. It can happen because the money ran out. It can happen because there are many mouths to feed and not the income to do it. It can happen because we were hit by a bus or we were hit by just about anything. And how is it? How is it that we come to be understanding of character and and stay in the fullness and the richness of life and the richness of character development? Look, I'm almost out of time. I haven't gotten to Jane Doe's question here. Okay, let's move into this. I got a long letter from wonderful woman who would like to remain remain anonymous. And I just want to read you this part of her letter where she says, I always love the stories of this family. And she's referring to Laura Ingalls Wilder's Little House on the Prairie. And she says, but why do you think they make Mary go blind? Now in the story, Mary is the oldest sister And, uh, okay, I'm just going to keep on reading this letter to you. Why do you think they make Mary go blind? What It was so very tragic. What good came to her family? I'm confused why writers make their plots so dark that it never leads to any happiness after the fact. So, This is just one little piece of a long letter that came from anonymous Jane Doe. And I wanted to address this because I understand that. I understand that feeling of why why is it that writers take such liberty? They go so far out there and they make a tragic story even more tragic. And you just wonder... Are they ever going to come back and save this big mess? <laughs> what are they doing way out there? The story is so difficult. Well, I have a few answers for this. One is um, my client Rebecca and I actually had a conversation about this quite a while ago. And she said something very insightful to me. And it was that we color our characters based on what we know. And I really thought about that. It led to me doing a certain amount of journaling after that. So what I want to share with you, Jane Doe, is that there is a certain coloring that authors take liberty to do. And I think there's a couple of reasons for this coloring. Think about it as being bright, being inside of the lines or being outside of the lines. We're usually trying deeply to understand. So much of fireside chats and script writing is because we want to understand. We want the fullness and the flavor and the brightness and the darkness of color. And we know it all has to be there for us to rise to some sort of perspective. When I was a child and I was watching this exact show, 
uh, Little House on the Prairie. And, and that scene where Mary realizes she has lost her eyesight. I remember, you know, just wailing during that episode and asking my mother about it, asking teachers about it. And, and it seemed that the story just went on. It just got more and more sad. But think about this. Eventually, there was a revelation that came to Mary's character. And that was she realized way down the line that she could help empower children. It led to her having a school for the blind. She and her husband did it together. It led to her even having a child. And I know, I know there was tragedy that fell on that child, but Mary became one who believed in herself. Mary went through tragic blindness. And in the end, Mary came to know herself. And this is the fullness. This is the facet. This is the character development that we all want in our own lives. And I challenge you, dear authors, go for the fullness. Don't just shoot them off in your real life or in your stories. Think about sticking with it. Think about where grace is needed. Where do you need more balance? When you can do that, your stories are memorable. That story from Little House on the Prairie is as real to me today as it was when I was 10 years old. And there's a reason for that. That story was deeply and richly faceted, and so were the characters that portrayed it. So, my dear ones, I hope this serves you well. Think about the richness of the characters you live with, let alone the ones you're creating right now. If you want help with this, I am at CoachDebbie.com. That's D-E-B-B-Y, CoachDebbie.com. I'd love to find out what you're working on. Until next Thursday, namaste, my friends. Namaste. 